the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Oh, the games that the Democrats play. Welcome to the Me Too era of the Supreme Court Justice Confirmation. Last Thursday, Senator Dianne Feinstein disclosed the existence of a secret letter written by an anonymous woman alleging that the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, sexually assaulted her when they were in high school back in the 1980s. Now, yesterday, there was a major twist in this story that everyone who follows leftist strategy should have seen coming. The anonymous woman has revealed herself. She is Christine Ford, a 51-year-old research psychologist at Palo Alto University in Northern California. She works at a university. She's also a registered Democrat and has donated to political organizations. But she pinky swears. She swears this has nothing to do with her coming forward with this story just as the Senate Judiciary Committee votes on Kavanaugh. Now, there were plenty of time for her to come out. There was plenty of time for the Democrats to spill the beans. They decided, no, 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 it has to be the week of the vote. Christine Ford, she spilled the exclusive beans to the Washington Post because they believe that democracy dies in darkness. (laughs) And, of course, if there's anything that Kavanaugh hopes to accomplish on the Supreme Court... It is murdering democracy, I believe. I am so, I want Donald Trump. I I mean, there's so much. This this is the time for him to have the twitchy eye and just go unstable. This is the time. Right now, I just want him to go, you know what? You didn't like that one, huh? Here's Judge Napolitano. How do you like that one? Ford told the Post that during a high school party, a drunk Brett Kavanaugh, pinned her to a bed, groped her, and covered her mouth to keep her from screaming. She says, quote, I thought he might inadvertently kill me. He was trying to attack me and remove my clothing, end quote. Now, we have to take things like this seriously. But at the last minute, you've had this for months. She's had it, obviously, her whole life. But they've had this for months The Democrats hold on to it and do nothing until the week, until Kavanaugh can no longer be asked any questions about it. There is no indication that she reported such a harrowing attack to the police or her parents or anybody else at the time. Kavanaugh unequivocally denies the accusations. The White House released a letter signed by 65 women who say they went to uh, uh, the high school with Kavanaugh. They vouch for his character. But that's not going to matter. The Democrats will get their circus this week. Kamala Harris and Cory Spartacus Booker will get their chance to remind everybody to vote for them for president in 2020 because only the Democrats like women. Christine Ford might be telling the absolute truth about this incident with Kavanaugh. And it is sad, if she is telling the truth, that no one will believe her. But why will half the country reject this? Because she might also be making this whole thing up for politics' sake. And the fact that the politicians 
had this, that she filed it with the politicians and not the police, and that they held on to it until after the hearings. Uh, Make it a little suspicious. The political timing of the story kind of drains all of the credibility out of it. Kavanaugh was confirmed to the federal bench by the Senate in 2006. Where was her dramatic story then? Now, last year, this worked to derail Roy Moore's Senate campaign. And that was a little dicey. But I think we all looked at him and went, yeah, there's a, there's a little something, something going on there. Kavanaugh? This just perfectly serves the left's narrative that Kavanaugh is planning on destroying all of the rights of women. Truth doesn't stand a chance when it's up against this kind of hysteria and a media that plays into its hands. Welcome to the program. It is uh, Monday. What is it? The 17th of September? Yes, the day before your big book okay, comes out. Right. Just, uh, the pressure is on, so don't screw this it up. This is the first book I've written, I think, since Common Sense, that I am nervous about it coming out. Yeah? Yeah. I'm really nervous because it is full of nuance. Full of nuance. And full of things that I've never... I mean, we'll talk about it maybe tomorrow. You know, once it's actually out... You know, the sun could crash into the earth or the earth could crash into the sun at any time. And so there's some things in here that there's a couple of chapters that I'm actually very nervous about because they are. You have some inside stories yeah. uh, that I don't know that I don't know that people are necessarily expecting or or the people who are in these inside stories are um, going to be excited about. Perhaps that yeah. might be that might be accurate. There's uh, one place that everybody begged me, don't put this in, don't put this in, don't put this in. Is this uh, the accusation that you were harassed by Brett Kavanaugh? That, that, that's Thank something, you that's for a big saying one. that. It's, it's a big one. Thank Be- you for saying that. I, I, I was going to wait until tomorrow, but he, he pinned me to a bed of nails. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He had some weird torture chamber thing mm-hmm. as a kid. He was seven mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Yep. Uh, but he... He had this torture thing, and usually he said to me uh, at the end, because I said, stop it, Brett. And this was before my voice changed or anything else, and he said, it's women like you. And I said, no, I am a seven-year-old boy. And uh, he was, I think he was, he might have been five. Wow. He might have been five. Wow. Could have been seven, but I think he was five. And he said, oh, you're not a girl. And I said, no, I get that. People mistake that all the time. The large breasts. Large breasts, mm-hmm. everything else. That's usually the reason. And uh, and so, and I didn't say anything until now. Wow. Well, yeah. that's powerful. You, it could be because of the vote. It could be because of the book. I don't know. It's one of the two, though. It's one of the, well, no, it could be that it absolutely <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's a really interesting one because we all agree, right? If if something terrible has happened to you and you have a right to be taken seriously. Yes. Uh, as we've said over and over again. It's just this one is is tough. I mean, the first. It, it, I mean, the first thing is you don't give it to a a politician, right? You don't give your story to a politician. You want to be taken seriously. You call the FBI. If somebody is, especially in this circumstance, yes. Right? I mean, if you have something, you give it to the FBI, 
and you say, look, I don't think this guy should be the judge. He Here's what he did. Now, may I just, may I, may I peel the onion? You can't peel okay, another me, layer off of this another onion. Another layer of the mm-hmm. onion. Let's go in one more level, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, let me ask you this. If if he if he tried to rape her, okay, I I think we should know about that. Yes, but if you tried to rape someone, um, you know, you you need to have more than just you saying it. If it's anything but rape, because remember this story started with he and his friends locked this girl in a room and then ran away laughing. Okay, that's how that first came out last week. Remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we stop with the high school stuff? Yeah, I mean, unless it's a crime. Uh, Now, this one, she Uh, is now alleging a a crime. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. A juvenile crime? Well, I mean... You want that open? Uh, you know, there's a level of it, right? Uh, smoking pot in high school probably does not uh, remove you from the Supreme Court, right? If smoking pot right. in the Senate probably doesn't <laughs> stop you at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, at this point, for sure. Right. Um, there's some level, right? Uh, you know, I certainly, you know, DUI can be very dangerous. I don't hear any liberals saying that Beto shouldn't be elected for it. Um, Wait a minute, what? Because he had a DUI in no, his past. No, I'm sorry, and, uh, I didn't hear that. What? Yeah, he's when? Made, he almost could have killed people. When did could that have happen? killed people? Could have, let's say, let's, uh, inadvertently killed people. Let's put it that way. I was terrified. Um, when I got onto the highway and I found out that Beto was driving, right. I was terrified that he might he might inadvertently kill me. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, look, a serious sexual crime is something that I would want to know about. Um, it's just that it's so hard to believe and what's interesting here is you have so many layers of this. You know, first of all, it's 30 years ago. So right off the bat, uh, you know, you're like, Listen well, to the Malcolm Gladwell uh, a series. Oh, yeah. Uh, about memory. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. yeah the studies that have been done on memory. It, 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 honest people, people who are really think that they are doing the right thing and telling the truth and telling the truth. They will deny the things that they even wrote. This they started this study in with nine eleven, and they asked people right after what, where were you, what happened. Write it down. They interviewed them. Then they went back ten years later, and people were like, "That didn't happen." Now, seventeen years later, they're saying things like, "I don't know why I wrote that because that's not where I was." Yeah, and they've completely, honestly completely reimagined or re-engineered what they saw that day and where they were essentially convinced themselves of a lie which right. is bizarre and but it's, not, not it's natural unknown. yeah it's it's all natural and i wasn't i wasn't aware of this until relatively uh, recently but you know the whole thing that happened i would say the 80s and 90s uh, where there was a lot of cases of repressed memories being brought up oh yeah uh, that was basically completely scientifically debunked Yes. They, like the doctors no longer believe that that's Correct. the vast majority of doctors no longer believe that rep- repressed memories are a thing. There's something that essentially you convince yourself in. You, f- you sure. create a fake memory. It's not right. a repressed memory. Oh, kind of like cases. what conservatives said at the time. Yeah, I guess they probably yeah, did. You're I, throwing you're you're throwing people under the bus. They're committing suicide because of your fake made up memories that you might think. But only because a psychotherapist is mm-hmm. working is working that. Yeah, and it's and this is what's so crazy about it because you have a thirty-year-old plus allegation of something 
uh, that uh, depending on, I mean, the the initial reports, right, were, were that it was not all that, uh, and it was anonymous, and it was not all that, uh, it was locking someone in a room yes. or something, and that's, which seemed like a high school prank, right? Right. Um, now, he denies this happened at all. but And that, so does now, the other guy. And, now, and so does everybody that... Right. Everybody that he knew, apparently. Now it's been elevated to, you know, sexual assault, which is a serious claim. Um, but it just, it, the but fact that it comes out in the middle of a Supreme Court, uh, uh, you know, tri- uh, hearings, it, not even in the hearings, the, the letter doesn't, they don't release it. They hold on to it. They don't question him in front of America f- uh, about it. Right. They wait until after because they're doing everything they can to delay. And it's just so hard to see this as anything other than but a Hail Mary. If this would have happened two months ago. Okay, if they would have right. released this letter two months ago, you would have some credibility. It would be part. Of, it would have been part of the hearing. It would right. have been part of the prep. You for can it. ask. Right. You can. You have time now. What What are they doing? They the the hearings are over, and on the day that it's over, they announce they've been sitting on this letter for two months. All this is is a Hail Mary pass. That's, That's all this is. Right. And it's a delay tactic. Yes. Because they think if they can get to the elections and take the Senate back, they have a chance of either, you know, holding off and not giving Trump any nominee or forcing him into taking some very watered down pick. Um, but it's interesting because you have a, a, a situation where Brett Kavanaugh it has... A, we have taken every possible defense away from Brett Kavanaugh. He can't, he's denied it, but that doesn't matter, right? And then you have, uh, he, they released 65 um, women or girls at the time who said, I was in high school with him. He didn't do anything like this. He was not that type of person, right? But then what does the left say? Oh, well, here's a list of 65 people he didn't rape. Wow. He didn't rape 65 whole people. What a, what a wonderful thing. So you can't take other, you can't take character witnesses. That doesn't count. The only thing you could do is have someone who's there and saw it. But we have that and that didn't count either. So there's no way this is absolutely the type of case that we talked about during the whole Me Too thing. If you get it down to anyone, one person can say something happened 30 years ago with no contemporaneous records of it. Right. No, there's no there's nothing that she didn't like go to the police or even, you know, tell lots of friends at the time. None of that happened. Uh, So we just have to believe one person. And now we're at the point where all women must be believed. The Hillary Clinton standard that everyone thought was insane. And now it's the thing that's going to be applied to to Brett Kavanaugh. And I would argue, Glenn, I don't I don't believe I don't believe there's one liberal who believes this event actually occurred. It's so the timing of it is so suspect. If there was one liberal that believed in this, uh, at least in the Senate, they would have released it two months ago. Of course there's no one that believes it. They know this is shady. In July, it can't. It you can't spend much time on this. That's that's the thinking. This this will be a shock. But once you start looking into it, it's going to fall apart. So hold it as a last shock and awe to see if we can delay it uh, anymore. That that's the only reason. If you and- believed it, you would have played this card first. All right, our uh, sponsor this half hour is Liberty Safes. Liberty Safe, they last a lifetime. You're going to pass your Liberty Safe on to your kids and your grandkids. It's going to be one of those kind of old-timey safes that people are like, oh my gosh, look at that's when they really built safes. (laughs) Uh, It's made here in the United States, the highest quality materials. It gives you fast access to your firearms and your valuables. I will tell you this. 
Um, I have liber- I have Liberty safes. I keep my uh, my firearms in a Liberty safe. I went to the store just a long time ago, went to the store and I just bought a handgun safe because my wife, I was leaving on tour uh, and I just got a handgun safe. I don't know, Cabela's or something. And it was oof. They can't get into the damn thing. Okay, it's like a fingerprint thing, and it never opens. You've got to be kidding me. Hang on just a second. I'll be right there. I know you want to rape me, but hang on just a second. I just get to get the fingerprint safe to open. They open every time with a Liberty safe, Mm -hmm. and it's never been easier. Now with 12 months interest-free financing on approved credit, fast application with quick, quick approval, uh, over 2 million Americans now have a Liberty safe in their home. It is the best built safe in America, bar none, and the best selling safe in America. It is Liberty Safe. Check them out now at LibertySafe.com. That's LibertySafe.com. Addicted to Outrage. The new book from Glenn Beck, Addicted to Outrage, is available everywhere tomorrow. Order it now at Amazon.com. You know, any feminist, any true feminist would stand up and say, stop it. Stop this, this use of victims for political reasons. Stop it. Because what's happening is if you just make uh, if you just start saying, look, sexual harassment, he was a sexual harassment. He was sexually harassing people. If it's all for politics, eventually it will mean nothing to either side because one side will see it as a tactic, depending on who's using it. And they'll say it's okay because that person is worse than using this tactic. And the other side will dismiss it because they'll know it's a tactic. And so what happens? The people who are actually being abused, who are actually going through something, we're not going to listen to we won't believe and the people who are actual abusers will go free justice cannot become political justice is blind but not anymore no and this is just i mean we don't know but you know the end of it is from the democrats perspective hold it till after the hearing now they're gonna have to have another hearing they're gonna have to bring him back they're gonna have to bring her back and you know look If there's nothing to this, you still have the outlying possibility that Brett Kavanaugh looks, let's say, really sweaty, right? If he looks really sweaty, then then America will, he did did it. Mm -hmm. Maybe he stumbles over a sentence. Maybe he phrases something poorly that they can run over and over again in election commercials. And you know who's, you know who's really shameful? You know who's really, truly a, one of the bigger disappointments. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) In the Senate. Oh, wow. Okay. How much time do you have? (laughs) Jeff Flake. Oh, gosh, yeah, because he's already bailing. Yeah. He's already saying, ah, I don't, I'm not going to, I can't vote yes on Kavanaugh until we hear this out, which, again, I mean, I, in some circumstances you understand, but it, it's like, if unless you have a reason to believe these things, unless there's real evidence of some sort, something Show me we were something. not aware of. Last week, I don't know what's being said this week, but last week the FBI said it was given the evidence and it's not pursuing it. That was last week. Hmm. So if you were given the evidence, did 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 the Senate sit on this evidence or did they turn it over two months ago to the FBI? 
Hello. I, well, and you know, the issue is, of course, if if this wasn't a hail mary pass, they would have wanted to question him yes. about it in the hearings. Yes. They, this is just—they're trying to delay, and they think if they can get the Senate. They can do something different. And this is the problem with social justice. It is not blind. Justice must be blind. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the program. Glad you're here. It is uh, Constitution Day. Anybody, anybody really know what the Constitution even is anymore? Anybody, anybody? Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> Does anybody care? Yeah. July 9th, 1776. Copy of the Declaration of Independence, Independence reached New York City. There were naval ships out in the harbor. The British. Revolutionary spirit, tension running high. George Washington was the commander of the Continental Forces. He stood in front of City Hall in Manhattan, just off Wall, and he read the Declaration of Independence. The crowd cheered. They tore down the statue of King George III. Now, think of that. How you see now statues coming down of tyrants all around the world. They take the statue of King George and they actually melt the statue and make 42,000 musket balls, bullets, out of the statue of King George. America's separation from Great Britain was officially now in writing. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, and this is a, uh, a whole section in the book. I come back to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution several times in the new book. It's coming out tomorrow, Addicted to Outrage. And I explain, um, I think, <laughs> I actually, I like it very much, the Declaration of Independence as the greatest breakup letter of all time. If you if you make that a Dear George letter, I translate it from, you know, old timey English into, you know, a contemporary breakup letter and it you understand it. It's the greatest breakup letter of all time. But that's what it is. It's a it's a a breakup letter that says we have to separate because you're an abusive uh, boyfriend and uh, we don't want any of that. But what's more is it starts with, hey, George, you know, we got to break up because there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on and things that you're doing. And uh, every time I try to bring things up, you only make it worse. Uh, But I I want to tell you who I am because you don't seem to get it. This is who I am. This is what I believe. These are the things that we find self-evident. That's the mission statement for the country. The Declaration of Independence is so important because it's the mission statement. It says we're going to break up because we are these people. We believe in these things. Forget about all of the things that the king did. Just look at that part. We hold these truths to be self-evident. So basically, this says we're going to break up and we're going to start our own country. And it's going to be it's going to revolve around this. That all rights come from God, not from a king. Nobody can change them. Your individuals were not a collective under rule. 
and uh, you have a right to be right to be heard and express yourself and nobody can scoop you up in the middle of the night and nobody can just level fake charges that I can't answer. And we're going to develop a country that if it ever goes off the rails, the people can abolish it. In fact, they have a right and responsibility to abolish that if it becomes uh, a, a hindrance or opposed to any of these natural rights. Because that's who we are. That's what we believe. That's the Declaration of Independence. But then... In 1789, they get together and they say, okay, that's the mission statement. How do we do it? How do we build this? There's a whole section or a whole uh, chapter where I kind of talk about the Constitution as if it was written by, you know, a bunch of, you know, VW uh, engineers uh, that had to, you know, make the VW thing. Remember that awful... A car <laughs> yeah and they were like okay we were making cool cars i mean porsche designed the first one now we're building the thing no i don't think so and so they break away they had to if you want to do, do a new company and that company is never going to make the vw thing then you better state it in your mission statement, and then you better build your company rules around the things that you saw lead to the VW thing. And that's what the Constitution does. The Constitution is, okay, how do we build this? More importantly, how do we make sure that we don't start building a VW thing? And in the in the in the government, that VW thing is tyranny, a tyrant, a king, a Hitler, a Stalin, a Mao. How do we make sure that never happens? Because that's why we broke away in our mission statement. It says men are individuals. They are they are given certain rights. No one can take those rights away. Their life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness so they can be who they want to be. Now, I'm not saying that's a mission statement. I'm not saying that we haven't made mistakes. I'm not saying that we haven't hit it every time. Of course not. Man's never going to be perfect. Man will never be perfect. Why do you expect a country to be perfect? 350 million people are going to get this right? We can't get one person right. How are we going to get 350 of us right? Men are flawed. Again, that's where the Constitution comes in. Because men are flawed, you better check on them. You better make sure that anybody who gets power is so compartmentalized and so many people are checking on them so it can never get out of control. This system is so brilliant it has so many checks and balances. But what Americans don't understand is we're at the last clause. We are now at the last beachhead. This thing was designed with checks and counterchecks and counterbalances to make sure nothing got out of control. And at the very last minute, 
One of our founders said, yeah, but what happens if all of that fails? Chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> well, Americans will never let that happen. They don't want tyranny. <laughs> There's so many checks and balances. that will." And somebody said, wait a minute. But what if they do? Because right now we have this thing written. So all of the checks and balances are happening in the government. They're happening at the federal level, and the Senate is supposed to be a balance where this is the way it was originally written. The Senate was not supposed to be elected by you. You shouldn't care about Beto. Only the people in Texas should care about Beto. Not you. I shouldn't care about uh, Chuck Schumer. Because Chuck Schumer should be making sure that the government doesn't do anything to stop New York from being New York. You want to do all socialist up in New York? Have at it, dude. California, you want to drive the crazy train into the cliff? Have at it. But not Texas. And that's what the Senate was supposed to do. But the progressives took that away. So you lose one check and balance. And slowly but surely, people have either given away their check and balance power or they have had it taken away. And so we're down to the last one where the crazy founder said, yeah, but what happens if all of that <laughs> it'll never happen? It has. That's the Constitutional Convention. That's where the people can say, you know what, they're out of control and we need to go in and give them term limits because they'll never do it themselves. This is a brilliant document. It has been slowly dismantled. It's not perfect. As Winston Churchill says, the greatest thing about uh, a republic or democracy is that it's the worst system uh it's the worst system absolutely the worst way to manage except for all of the other ways yes it's flawed but this is the best way to do it but we haven't lived it in a long time well and remember too i mean they the brilliance of the founders was recognizing human fallibility right right they realized that they weren't going to get it perfect and that's why they created a process which I think you can argue it is perfect because of this. You can amend it. If there, if you find something wrong, you can amend it. And there's it, a process to go through to right. amend it. They just want. They never want to go through that process in right. Washington. They just want to yeah, implement when they, it when by they, fiat. When they say the the founders never saw this happening, they know. They knew that. They knew that. That's why they left the amendment process. That's the only way this document is living and breathing. You can open it up through the amendment process and say you know what that's not right the gun thing that's not the way we feel now we've learned some things so you amend it you don't twist and and take out of context the words to say well it's a living breathing doc no it's not it's living and breathing when you open it up and say we need to amend this because that's old-timey they never saw it coming that's part of the genius. That's part of the genius. Well, it's too tough to do that. Again, that's part of the genius. 
because it it slows you down. Do you know that the Patriot Act was written in the 1990s? What? The Patriot Act was written, for the most part, in the 1990s. It went nowhere. No one wanted the Patriot Act. So it just sat on a shelf and waited until there was a disaster. Because people will vote for security when they're freaked out. And so they did. Can you imagine? How did that Patriot Act? We didn't even ask that question. How is this? How have you designed this elaborate, this elaborate system with Homeland Security and everything else? How did you put this together so quickly? No, but easy. We did it. We did it years ago. Right. It was ready to go. I mean, another good example of this is um, Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders introduced Medicare for all in 2013 and got exactly zero co-sponsors. We've got, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. When he really did it in 2017, he had 16 co-sponsors. Mind you, by the way, the Democrats had solved this problem, if you remember, right, with Obamacare already. And now they want Medicare for all. In 2013, it wasn't popular. It didn't make sense. No one wanted to jump on that bandwagon. Now it's all democratic socialism. And if you look through this name, you're going to see a lot of 2020 potential Democratic nominees, Cory Booker, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris, you know the names. It's it's blatantly obvious that this stuff is going on. That's the way it works. That's progressivism. Mm -hmm. The cure to progressivism is what progressivism deems the cancer. The Constitution. Today is Constitution Day. If you don't, if you would like to learn more about this, and if any of this has made sense, that's in Addicted to Outrage. New book. It comes out tomorrow. You can order it, have it delivered to you tomorrow, and begin to read it. Addicted to Outrage. How we can actually heal and solve the nation's problems. But we can't do it while we're angry. We have to use reason. All right. American Financing is our uh, sponsor this half hour. American Financing is they're just the greatest group of people that I, I know that are in, in you know, mortgages. These guys have been, um, they, they, they talked to me, oh, I don't know, for over a year, back in 2006, 2007. And I said, no, I don't believe in mortgages. I think this whole thing. And they're like, Glenn, we're not like that. We don't work on commissions and everything else. I didn't take them as a sponsor. They called after the crash, and I was expecting to hear that they were really needing us. And I said, so how, how, how are you guys holding up? And they're like, fine, we're good. We, we didn't sell those kinds of loans. We didn't push people into stuff because we don't make commissions on the loans. We listen to what people have, and we hold to basic standards. They're great. And as Stu has found out, they, they listen to you. They actually are trying to do what you're trying to do, even if you're crazy. I? <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, no. I mean, they. I wanted something a little odd, <laughs> and right. they said, "Well, let's not. I don't really recommend that, but uh, if you can find it, go, go, good luck. Good luck. Good luck with that one." <laughs> yeah, but right. they were very helpful. I mean, yeah. they walked me through every single option, and uh, and actually wind up recommending me take another place because yeah. I I found another thing somewhere else, and they said, "Yeah, if you want to take that, go for it." Which is great. Yeah. Tells you everything. They work for you. It's American financing. 
Go to AmericanFinancing.net, AmericanFinancing.net, or you can call them at 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. There is a fantastic book that I have been reading, and um, I'm thrilled to have Jonathan Haidt uh, on with us. Uh, coming up in a minute. If you've never heard him, you need to. It's the coddling of the American mind, how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. He is a uh, professor at NYU. He was a uh, a big progressive liberal. I think he still classifies himself as a liberal, but I don't think he classifies himself as a progressive anymore. I don't think he necessarily uh, calls himself a liberal now. I mean, he was, though, at one yeah. point. Um, um, I think he's more of a classic liberal now, yeah, which is libertarian. Yeah, libertarianish. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has—he's written a book on the three bad ideas that are destroying us, and it is a brilliant book with real answers to it. If especially if you're a parent, Jonathan uh, Haidt joins us next. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to tell you about something that you should either end your day with or um, start your morning with, and that is the news and why it matters. If you like this show, you're going to love the news and why it matters. It's a bunch of us that all get together at the end of the day and just talk about the stories that matter to you and your life. The news and why it matters. Look for it now wherever you download your favorite podcast. Glenn Beck. It's Monday, September 17th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. One of the most influential uh, writers, um, I think, in the last five years, at least in my life, uh, is um, Jonathan Haidt. Uh, He has written a couple of uh, bestsellers. Uh, One of them is the, what was it, The Unrighteous Mind or The Righteous Mind, uh, which is, I know that, I know language makes a difference, especially there, Uh, but The Righteous Mind, you know, why we can't get along with people. Um, And it is, it's a game changer. The one thing I have found in common with people who are spitting themselves out uh, out of the system on both sides and are saying we're in trouble, they all have read Jonathan Haidt's books. This is an exceptional book, and I believe a must-read for everyone in this audience. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, and he joins us now. Hello, Jonathan. How are you, sir? Very well, Glenn. Pleasure to be back talking with you. Yeah, so, uh, Jonathan, um, you have in this book, and I, I wish I could, I wish you were here so you could see, it is all, it's all highlighted. I've, I've highlighted, I could talk to you for days about this. It is fascinating. Um, you outline three main problems that are happening in our in our society now. What are they? Uh, so the the book is about this very strange change that happened on college campuses around 2015. Uh, many of your listeners will have heard of these strange events, the shouting down of speakers, the, the claiming that students need warnings before they read a Greek myth or a story that has violence or racism in it. Um, so strange things began to happen. And my co-author, Greg Lukianoff, um, he had this 
brilliant diagnosis. He himself was subject, he'd, he'd had suicidal depressions. He's prone to depression. And he learned cognitive therapy, which is where you learn to question your assumptions and, and clean up your thinking. And mm-hmm. once he did that, he began to notice that the students were doing the exact same cognitive distortions that he had learned not to do. They were catastrophizing. Oh, if a student, if a speaker comes to campus, uh, you know, people will die. Um, this is disordered thinking. And Greg noticed that students were doing this. He runs the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Um, and so he diagnosed that students, are, that colleges are somehow conveying these, these ideas that are really, really bad for students. Students are taking them to heart and thinking themselves into a depression. So that's sort of the, the, the backstory to the book. Um, the three ideas that you refer to, sorry, I had to do that little background. No, no, that's so fine. That's fine. Up. Uh, so the three ideas, what we, what we conclude in the book, as, we, as we've listened to students, as we've read a lot about what's going on, and I'm, I'm a professor at New York University, so I'm, I'm in the thick of things here, um, is that there are three really, really bad ideas. And here they are. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Number two, always trust your feelings. Number three, life is a battle between good people and evil people. And if we can get students to believe all three, we can't guarantee that they will fail, but we really set them up for a life of weakness, complaint, grievance, and failure. So, um, Jonathan, I have a, um, I have a book uh, that is released uh, tomorrow, and it, I, I rewrote it, uh, and I wish I could rewrite it again because I've learned so much as I'm writing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you're like, oh, you yeah. get to the oh, end, yeah. you're what's, like. What's, what's your book? What's it called? Uh, it's called uh, Addicted to Outrage. And, oh, my uh, goodness. i got to read that. Yeah, so it is. Um, it it um, talks about. Uh, you know our addiction to this and how this is happening, but it but it also touches on postmodernism, which is coming out of our universities, which is kind of the root, is it not, of all three of these problems? Because you, you well, just said yeah. if we can teach all, th- if we can if we can get kids to believe all three of these things, we destroy them. Why would anyone do that? So nobody's trying to destroy. Students, uh, I think what's happening here, uh, the, the, the best idea I can share with you and your listeners to understand the craziness that has broken out, not just on university campuses, but across so many of our institutions, is that social media has put us all in a game in which the way we get prestige is by calling out others, or at least let's just start with students, young people who, who grew up with social media. Um, everybody's always trying to figure out what can I do that will gain me respect. We actually care about respect and prestige more than we care about money. I'd even say many of us care about money. Uh, once you're above a certain level, people care about money primarily for the prestige it gets. So social media changed the basic connectivity of society so that it, all you have to do is criticize someone online or join in with the criticism and you gain respect. And so, um, and, and so th- what you have to see is this is not about people trying to destroy uh, ch- students, certainly, but people are playing out their political battles. They're using others as, as pawns in a way, and they're setting up a playing field in which kids just trying to get by and, and get by socially end up hurting each other. OK, so that is the I think that's the addiction part. That's the that's the end of the, the dog, the tail of the dog in a way. I think mm-hmm. the what you talk about uh, is you know this this helicopter parent madness that went on 
that this is the first generation that, that, that we're seeing the results now of children that could do no wrong received, you know, praise no matter what they did. We're seeing that generation now and they can't handle the stress. That's problem number one. Children are too fragile to handle anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. So um, the so why did things get so weird? Why did they change? Uh, beginning with the students who arrived on campus right around 2013, 2014, um, it's a mystery. In fact, our book is, we really frame it as a social science detective story, because this new morality emerges on campus right around 2014, 2015. The whole morality of safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions, all those things. And so we we think there are several causes, one of which is social media, which we just talked about. Well, I'm sure we'll come back Mm -hmm. to. But the other big one is, as you say, it's that we did this to our kids trying to protect them. We try. we, We all want our kids to be safe. We all want our kids to be successful. And oftentimes, good intentions backfire. I think this is a lesson that conservatives are are more attuned to than progressives. Um, So beginning in the 1980s, and especially in the 1990s, we clamped down on kids' freedom. We began overprotecting them. We got this ridiculous idea that if we ever take our eyes off our kids, if our kids go around the corner to a park and there's no adult watching them, they will be kidnapped. They will be snatched, abducted. So, you know, there was a huge crime wave in the 1970s and 1980s. And when you and I were growing up and, you know, any of your listeners who are over 40, when we were growing up, even though there was actually a lot of crime in America, you went out and played after school. You went out with your yeah. friends. You were in someone's backyard. You walked around town. We, you know, we rode our bicycles from around the age of eight. So that's the way childhood always was until the 1990s. And even though the crime wave was actually ending in the 90s, things were getting safer and safer in the 90s. That's the decade in which the social norm changed, maybe not everywhere in America, but certainly in urban and suburban areas, it changed so that we kids never got the right to practice being independent or self-supervising. And then when they go off to college, are we surprised that they're having trouble being independent and self-supervising? It's amazing. You know, your, some of your recommendations, and one of the reasons I like this book so much is because you not only diagnose the problem, it, the, the last what, third of the book or quarter of the book is okay so here's what we do uh and your recommendations it's crazy that you need someone like you to say you know what have your kids ride their bike unsupervised you know down the street send them to the store for a gallon of milk have them do things you know uh that that are unsupervised my grandparents would have they would have never under my parents wouldn't have even understood that advice of course that's what you do but now I said this on the air the other day, and I said, I remember being maybe six, seven. We had a little store, you know, about a block and a half away from our house. And my mom would give me money and she'd say, go get a gallon of milk. Nobody thought twice of that. I said this on the air, your advice. And everybody's like, I don't know, man. I mean, I, whew, that would be <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you know what I mean? And we're that's people right. who know the stats on crime. Yeah, no, that's right. And so one of the, so I, you know, I think the way to the way to think about so much of what's going on in our society, and you know, I, I can't wait to read your book because it's so easy for us to think that there are good people and bad people. It's so easy for us to think that someone did this or people are hurting our kids. But really, you know, I'm a social psychologist, and what we specialize in is understanding the way social forces act on people. So it's not that they're necessarily good or bad; it's that we're all really social creatures. And um, many people have traced this back to the origin of cable TV um, in the 1980s, 
you know, when you and I were growing up, there were only three networks. The news was only on half an hour, an hour a day. Um, there wasn't the chance to be submerged in stories about, the, you, know, th- you know, several kids go missing every year in America. I mean, more than that, but in terms of like true abductions by strangers, it's extremely rare. But right. it's only in the 1980s that we could all be immersed in that story all the time. And so it was the change in the media environment that was one of the reasons for the huge freakout. Another was declining family size. When you and I were kids, there were a lot of families in my neighborhood that had five kids. And now, you know, I live in New York City. I have two kids. Most of my friends' children, most most of my kids' friends are only children. It's rare to have a sibling. So... When parents have just one kid and they're surrounded by news stories about kids being abducted, yeah, they don't let them walk to the corner store anymore. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, we're going to continue with him in uh, just a second. Uh, The name of the book is The Coddling of the American Mind. If you're only going to buy one book between now and Christmas, well, you have to buy mine. But consider his. Uh, (laughs) This is a must-read book, I think, for this audience. The Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, available everywhere. All right, we'll continue with our conversation in a minute. First, let me tell you about uh, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is the way to hire people that will not overwhelm you as a as a uh, manager. ZipRecruiter uh, will take your job. It will go out and it'll post it on the 100 job sites. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are qualified looking for a job but may not be right for you. What ZipRecruiter does is not just go out and post it. It goes through, it finds out exactly what you're uh, looking for. It's smart technology. And it uh, then goes out and it searches all of the resumes. If somebody hasn't applied for your job, but their resume is out there, they will, they will find that resume and then contact the person and say, there's a perfect job for you. You just have to contact these, pers- uh, these people. Then when you get all the resumes in, they highlight it and order it so you never miss the right person. Sound great? You can try it for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. We have uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Haidt. Anybody who I think is a game changer uh, individual, somebody who is really, who gets it and is actively engaged in in trying to think differently and do things like save freedom of speech uh they are all fans or have read uh jonathan heights uh books um brilliant guy comes at it very very honestly has changed as a person through writing his uh his books and i just so respect him the coddling of the american mind is the book jonathan i'd like to get through the next two problems so then the next uh, segment we can actually talk about some of the solutions that you have in your book sure sure so you 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 reveal the three bad ideas one what doesn't kill you makes you weaker the second one is always trust your feelings mm-hmm. let's go into that one sure so um the my first book was called the happiness hypothesis finding modern truth and ancient wisdom and i read uh i read the most psychologically rich works from the ancient world so the Stoics from Greece and Rome, uh, the, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, the works of Buddha and Hinduism. And one thing that they all have in common in every wisdom tradition, you find people saying something like this. Here's Marcus Aurelius. The whole universe is change and life itself is but what you deem it. 
So we don't experience the world as it is. We experience the world through our filters, our mental and emotional filters. Here's Buddha saying essentially the same thing. What we are today comes from our thoughts of yesterday, and our present thoughts build our life of tomorrow. Our life is the creation of our mind. And this is the basis of most pop psychology, um, that if, you spe- if you're spending your life feeling angry, feeling cheated, it's, it's up to you to change the filters. Life is complicated, and you get to decide which filters you're going to use. And instead, what's happening on college campuses, and, and it goes back much earlier, is because we're afraid of hurting kids' feelings, and it's a, a goal is in part to be sensitive and caring, um, we, we think that if someone presents an idea that a student finds threatening or invalidating, if it invalidates a current idea, that can be painful. Well, we don't want students to experience pain. And so um, this whole idea of safe spaces, that if a speaker comes to, to campus, um, and the classic case, one of the first cases was at Brown University, they were going to have a debate between two feminists, one of whom believed that America is a rape culture, one of whom believed that America is not a rape culture. And that's a great thing to talk about um, at a college campus at Brown University. And uh, because some students at Brown thought, well, what if a student at Brown had been raped? It would be too painful for her to hear someone say that America is not uh, systemically a rapist kind of society. Um, and so she might well, be would it be healthy? Here. Of course <laughs> or not. would that's it be right. healthy? Exactly, exactly. That's right. So, and that's why the title of our book is The Coddling of the American Mind. Coddling means overprotection. And if educators get in their heads that students should be protected from uncomfortable moments, from having their most cherished ideas challenged, well, you might feel like you're being nice to them, but my God, you're crippling them. You're denying that's what, them. The, yep, isn't the that what a university is supposed to do? I want a, if, if I'm paying my money, I want someone who will take uh, my, my everything that I believe is true and throw me up against the wall and make me prove it. Make, make me look at all of the different things so I, I know how to find truth and I have, I've, I've been awakened so I, I know what's true to me. Does That's that make right. sense? My God, does it make sense to me? Yes. Um, so the, the traditional idea of a university, I mean, we can trace it all the way back to, to um, Plato's Academy in ancient Greece. If you have a community of people who argue and debate and discuss, but are bound together by norms of friendship. Um, so if you just get people yelling at each other in the public square, it doesn't, doesn't do work. any good. But if you have a community that retires, that, that steps outside of downtown Athens, and they have a place where they meet and they discuss love and justice and beauty, um, and they have these spirited debates that Plato wrote about. Well, that's wonderful. That's how you find truth. And so that is our myth, or that is our origin story for Western universities. Um, unfortunately, a new idea began creeping in in the 80s and 90s, where the goal of educators should be to foster self-esteem, to, uh, to protect Ugh. people, to make them feel safe. And again, this overprotection is really, really bad for students. Um, one of the clearest signs that we're messing things up is that depression, anxiety, suicide, uh, and self-harm, that is uh, young, teenagers cutting themselves to the point where they have to be admitted to the hospital, these things began climbing very rapidly after about 2012. So we are messing things up. We're harming our kids but, in the name of protecting them, and we've got to stop. But in your book, you talk about something that is absolutely incredible to me. 
that now at universities, if you have gone to the, you know, the, 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 I don't know, the campus shrink or the doctor and there's anything regarding mental health, you will get a an email from the university that says, is this your book or is this another one? I'm- yes, no, this, is a, this is a story yeah, yeah. book, yes. All right, go ahead and tell the story. Yeah. So, well, first, let me make clear. This was just at one university. This is... It really oh, I thought it was happening in several. A- yeah. Okay. No, so, but we, we told the story. This is at Northern Michigan uh, State University um, in which it was routine that if anybody went in to talk about depression or anything uh, like that, they got a letter telling them, you must not talk about this with your friends uh, or we might have to send you home. Now, this is crazy to say, to tell people who are having uh, um, emotional difficulties that they better not talk with anyone about it because now the university was afraid of liability. The university was afraid, uh, well, what if you tell someone and then that contributes to their depression and then they commit suicide? I mean, it's it's bizarre reasoning. Um, But the point is that the bureaucracy at a university is working to protect the university from bad publicity and from lawsuits. Um, the therapeutic community is working to, to uh, um, protect students from harms that they see that I think are not really harms in most cases. Um, universities are complicated places, and what we try to do in the book is trace out how this weird, bad, bad culture is happening, all from people pursuing what they think are good motives. Okay, um, we 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 only have about thirty seconds. I want to come back and and uh, and talk to you a little bit about the solutions um, uh, that you outline in the book, and it's the reason why I think everybody, every especially every parent, should read this book. Um, and we'll talk to uh, Jonathan Haidt about that when we return. The coddling of the American mind. It is on the must-read list. If you're a listener of this program, you must read this book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Back in just a second. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. We are currently trying to uh, schedule uh, Jonathan uh, Haidt's co-author for a, uh, a podcast that can you know last up to two hours uh, uninterrupted, which is really the way to have this discussion because we're going to quickly run out of time. Um, Jonathan, I want to get to some of the I want to get to some of the solutions, um, but I, I would rather just talk to you outside of the book here for a second. Um, the last time we spoke was uh, Righteous Mind when it came out. Yeah. And uh, I was I don't know if you remember the interview, but I was really excited when I talked to you because I think you have so many of the answers um, and you're seeing things and it. And it works. I have I have used the principles in the righteous mind in one on one settings and in front of, uh, you know, a crowd of uh, a thousand people who I asked at the beginning of the of the conversation. How many people here hate me, think they hate me? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it was almost unanimous. I think it was just my my family that didn't raise their hand. Uh, And at the end of the 20 minutes. I asked that question again, and it was maybe 5%. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing when you can um, humble yourself and understand that many times we're saying much of the same stuff, just using different language. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I spoke to you, you were pessimistic. I said, this is the answer. And you said, no. <laughs> It's going to take too many people to do it, and they're not going to do it. And I don't think I don't think that I don't think so. Um, um, go ahead. 
You want to comment oh, okay. here? I've got a que- I've got a question on no, it. Go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Put put up the question. I got plenty to say. Okay. So uh, I have seen this work. I have. I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe because of the problem that's happening in the universities now, it's actually turning out to be a good thing because people who are on both sides are now waking up and going, okay, this whole freedom of speech thing, this is a real problem. People who were, you know, seeing us versus them, people who were, you know, uh, trying to say, hey, we got to be PC, you know, banish that voice. They're now all starting to say this is getting scary. Yeah. And I think we have a chain. A cha- I think things are changing for the better. Well, I think that you're right that so many people are now alarmed on both sides. Um, that uh, alarmed that this country could actually break apart. It could actually fail. A few years ago, most of us would have, you weren't seeing the kind of books you are now uh, about the end of democracy. I think enough people are now scared that I'm hopeful that there will be, uh, there will be a large group on both sides of the aisle pushing for change. I'm hoping for some sort of like center right, center left, libertarian coalition to, um, and I, I think I, it's I, happening. I, well, I hope so. I just read the description of your book on Amazon. It sounds like you're you're a part of that, as as am I. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you and I both come at this. You know, you coming from the right, me coming from the left, and recognizing um, that the people on the other side, while you may think that they are causing harm, their goal wasn't to cause harm. They are pursuing moral virtues as they see it, and that is right. the, the the road to resolving it. I'm guessing the technique that you use when you address hostile audiences is you start either by acknowledging something you think they're right about or acknowledging something you think you were wrong about. Correct. Is that right? One of, the, one of those yep. techniques? And yep. that's straight out of yep. Dale Carnegie. If, if, if people, this was very formative for me, reading Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. I read it in graduate school. He's a brilliant social psychologist. So I think the skills we need as a country now are basically the skills of forgiveness, acknowledgement, um, uh-huh. um, reaching out to people, humility. Uh, I, I think uh, I've spoken to a number of Christian audiences in the last, uh, in the last month or two, and I often go back to the, the Sermon on the Mount and, and the advice uh, at the end, you know, uh, uh, well, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Start with yourself. It has magical powers. Jonathan, I don't know if you know this. Very few people do, but you should look it up. You will enjoy it. Um, read Rudyard Kipling's poem, "The Gods of the Copybook Headings," the uh, and of the, the reason book headings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look, at, you will love it. Um, but it uh, its point is, um, you know, it, when social progress uh, fails and all of these lies come undone, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. It basically it means you will re you will find eternal truths again, no matter how hard you work against it, it will mm. reset itself. Um, yeah. And we're we're and the reason why I bring this up is because. I'm finding it difficult to navigate on both sides people who say or want to say, I told you so. So let me give you let me give you an example. What you're saying in this book, when I read it, I'm reading it, you know, I'm reading the big overarching uh, ideas in it. And I'm like, of course, of course. And it feels like to a conservative, 
that this stuff has come from the universities, have come from the eggheads, and we have been saying, no, that, that, that doesn't work. That's not right. So it's easy for us to say, see, I told you so, we were right, which gets us nowhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it feels right. so good. That's how right. do you oh, always, right. how, how do, I know we all have less than a minute with you. How do we, how, how can you conquer that? Um, well, I think you have to just withstand the people saying that and just keep going. Here's the number one piece of advice uh, for people who have children. And this is bipartisan. This is everyone can agree to. Prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Um, my, my top suggestion for anyone listening who has kids of any age, go to letgrow.org. It's an organization started by Lenore Skenazy, who wrote the book Free Range Kids. And it gives you ideas for how you can help to prepare your child for the road of life ahead, even when the schools are going to be trying to protect the child from negative experiences. They're going to try to change the road for the child. Um, stick with it. Find other parents that you can organize with. Find other ways that you can let your kids out. Let them practice independence. Uh, so we have a lot of suggestions in the book for ways that you can help your kids grow strong, ways you can encourage the schools to improve, ways you can encourage universities to improve, to go back to the kind of university you described before that's going to really challenge people, push them up against the wall and make them learn to defend their ideas or change their ideas. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Appreciate it. God bless. Keep up the good work. You bet. Jonathan Haidt, Coddling of the American Mind. And you mentioned a bunch of his research in your book as well, uh, addicted to our age, um, because a lot of it's just really important and supports all the things that, you know, I think, I'd argue conservatives have been talking about for a long time. Long time. This guy is, the reason why I like him so much is he's honest. He started to write The Righteous Mind, and um, his goal was to write a book on how progressives could win. And they could, you know, debunk the right. And the rhetoric of the right. And he started doing his own homework and he started to immerse himself in the right. Uh, And we found out on the air last time he was on that because I said, you're going to hate this because I know who you are. uh, But, you know, you really have affected me. And he said, well, same back to you. He said, you were one of the guys I studied. And he said, you use all of this language. He said, you helped me break through and see that conservatives aren't monsters. And I thought for sure they were. And he said, but because you use some of my language and you probably know what language it is if you're a conservative, because it's the language that you're like, oh, you know, I bet he's suspect. Uh, I use the language of both sides unknowingly at the time. uh, And that opened him up to start to listen and go, wait a minute. And as he was looking at the language, he figured this all out and figured out, no, we're coming at, we're arguing about two different things, even though we know, even though we think we're arguing about the same thing. It's fascinating. I I want to give just a a couple of the, uh, you know, he said, prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Listen to this. Assume that your kids are more capable this month than they were last month. Each month, ask them what tasks or challenges they think they can do on their own, such as walking to the store a few blocks away, making their own breakfast, starting a dog walking business. Resist the urge to jump in and help them when they're struggling to do things and seem to be doing them the wrong way. Trial and error is slower, but it is usually better 
as a teacher than direct instruction. Uh, let your kids take more small risks. Let them let them learn from getting bumps and bruises. Uh, learn about free range kids movement and incorporate her lessons uh, into your family's life. Um, Lenore Scanese is, is awesome. I mean, she's one of my. Just, she, she has such a great perspective on the world, and it's so it's so weird because everything in me factually knows that all of this is right. I know logically that all of these things are right. Of course, kids could walk to the store a few blocks away. But your feelings. Of course, crime is way down and it's safer than ever. But it, of course, they should lose from their bumps and bruises. But like, I, as a parent. I don't want my kid to get hurt. I don't want to risk my kid. It's it's silly. What if they go and they get, what if something does happen? What if they wander out into the street and get hit by a car? And I, I've come to the conclusion, at least in my life, and I, I will admit this, that I think it's, we look at this as uh, an instinct that is we are overprotecting our kids. In reality, I think it's actually a selfish instinct. I, I think you look at it as I don't want to be the parent that everyone is looking at and saying, oh my gosh, like, why would you let your kid ride the subway on their own? Which is how Lenore kind of came into the public eye. You know, it's you wanting to protect yourself because you don't want to be the idiot who lets your kid go to the store and then gets kidnapped or hit by a car. And it's, in, and of course, like, it's a, you don't want that relationship to end because you make a silly mistake and don't tell them that one time that they should jump off, you know, they're jumping off something into the pool and you, you don't warn them that time. And when they jump off, they hit the side and they become paralyzed. You don't want, you don't want that to be on you. Obviously, you don't want it to happen. But the motivation for the helicopter parenting is not because you think it's going to happen. It's because you don't want to be on, on the hook for it. Interesting. Listen to this. He says, you know, let your kids go. Let your, you know, encourage them to walk or ride bicycles to and from school at the earliest age possible. He says, you know, let them go explore. But print this out. This is in the book. But print this out. It's a little card that you give to your kid. He said, laminate it and give it to your kid. And when somebody comes up to your kid and says, where are your parents? Have them explain this and hand it to the kid to the person okay okay and it says i am a let grow kid hi my name is fill in the blank i'm not lost nor am i neglected i've been taught how to cross the street i never go off with strangers but i can talk to them including you the state generally grants uh, a substantial leeway for parents to decide what age their ch- uh, their child can do things independently mine believe it is safe healthy and fun for me to explore If you don't believe me, please call or text them at the number. If you think it's inappropriate or illegal for me to be on my own, would you please, one, read Huckleberry Finn. Two, remember your own childhood. Was your parent with you every second? Today's crime rate is back what it was in 1963. It is safer mm. to play outside now than you were than than it was when you were my age. Mm. It's great. The coddling of the American mind. All right. So do you want to sell your home? You want to sell your home on time and for the most amount of money? Uh, real estate agents I trust. 
is the website that we built. We are not a real estate company. What we are is we're uh, uh, what is it? Matchmaker dot com. What is it? What is that? Uh, except we don't have the you know the love quotient thing. Um, uh, what we are is we are people that are are lining you up with the best real estate agent in your area. That's what we do. You're looking for somebody that can sell your home, can sell your home fast, is the expert, is not the person that is doing this, you know, part-time, has the same kind of values that that you have. Everybody who is, you know, on our staff is a is a fan of the show. Um and again, they don't work for us, but uh, it's like we're a big family. We have 1,500 agents all across the country. So if you're looking to sell your home, these are the people with the right marketing plan. These are the people who are tried and true in your area. They know your home. They know your neighborhood. And they have the plan to be able to sell it. So you're looking to buy or sell a home and you need somebody on your side? Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. You know, Tanya and I were having a um, conversation in the car uh, the other day about letting the kids ride their bikes to school. And, uh, you know, she immediately, oh, no, 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 no. And I said, honey, it is safer today than it was when we were kids. And she couldn't, she just couldn't believe it. And um, I suggested to her that she read my new book, uh, Addicted to Outrage. (laughs) Um, It it comes out tomorrow, by the way. Um, But I want to share some things after the the, uh, top of the hour break. It's on page 15, and it just, and I go back to this, and there's stats all the way through the book like this. But on page 15, I just go through some of the stats on on crime and what has changed in America that no one is talking about. And it's why we feel so depressed and we feel so bad. Because, look, good news doesn't sell. It just doesn't sell. Nobody's like, yeah, you know what? Let's lead with the good news. Nobody leads with the good news. When's the last time you saw the headline above the fold on the front page? Everything is much better than it was five years ago. (laughs) You don't. You don't. You don't ever see that. But we have to recognize that because our paranoia has has gone off the charts we think we're living in a time and a country that doesn't exist we'll start there at the beginning of next hour standby the country has been pushed to the limit our political bonds have been torn apart we need a true leader who can save us from certain doom Unfortunately, we could only find this guy. Hey, it's Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. For tickets, VIP packages, and more, visit glennbeck.com. Glenn Beck. All right, let's talk about democratic socialism here for a second because they're, uh, you know, they're big into the, it feels, uh, feels, 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 you know, they've, they've got a bad case of the feels. Throw them some props for a second. They're great at identifying their audience and hitting them with a message that suits straight to their heart because it feels. Struggling with medical bills? Oh my gosh, we feel for you. For universal medical health care. Are you having a hard time paying for rent or mortgage? We feel. No worries. 
make way for a, a housing uh, for, you know, uh, being a federal right. Are you a student looking at years of paying off school loans? We feel for you. We've got you. We feel. I'll promise to cancel all those pesky student loans for you. It's great. So you can see how this message resonates with people who are struggling. And I guarantee you, we hit the next collapse, the next 2008, which will be worse. A lot of your friends who are listening now, who are pointing to those people, are saying, no, no, that's crazy. Oh, we can't afford that. We'll be saying we have to have it. All right. No one can explain how uh, the the social uh, the Democratic socialists are going to pay for what is it, Stu? Thirty two million dollars for Medicare for all no, trillion Glenn. trillion. Sorry. Five point four trillion for guaranteed jobs. One point four trillion on just the student loans that are out. One point three trillion on free college uh, paid family medical leave. Social Security. It's forty trillion dollars is the uh, is the bill. Nobody can get uh, Cortez to answer the question. Here is here she is with Jake Tapper. How are you going to pay for that? Forty trillion dollars is quite a bit of money. Uh, and the, the taxes that you talked about raising to pay for this, to pay for your agenda, only count for two. And I'm, I'm, we're going by left leaning uh, mm-hmm. analysts. Right. Well, when you look again at, again, how our health care works, currently we pay mu- much of these costs go into the private sector. So what we see is, for example, you know, a year ago, I was working downtown in a restaurant. I, I went around and I asked how many of you folks have health insurance. Not a single person did because these they were paying. They would have had to have paid two hundred dollars a month uh, for for a payment for insurance that, that had an eight thousand yeah. dollar deductible. What these represent are lower costs overall for these programs. And additionally, what this is, is a broader agenda. OK. She she hasn't answered the question there. Let me let me just let me just start here. She said a year ago I was working in a bar. Year ago. I just saw a photo shoot she did just last weekend where she's wearing a $5,000 outfit in the photo shoot. A year ago she was working in a bar. Now look at her. I'm really tired of I'm really tired of how bad things are here in America. There are 320 million of us that are lucky enough to call the United States of America our home. That is 4.4% of the U.S. population. 4.4%. Our fellow citizens, lucky enough to live here. In my new book on chapter 30, let me just quote, of that 4.4%, We own 25% of the world's wealth, much more if you count the U.S. companies housing cash and assets in foreign countries. We consume 33% of the world's energy production. Now, I want you to know, all these things have been turned into horrible things. We hold command on all seven seas. We own 48% of all satellites in space. We are the only nation that has sent a man to the moon and back. By the way, we did that four times. And strangely, I just had to throw this in. We also we also consume 41 percent of the world's chewing gum. But that's a different story. In barely 120 years, we grew to become the world's most powerful nation. 
And 100 years after that, we are the only superpower on Earth. We're pretty set for the future as well, believe it or not. We are, we are uh, as far as resources go, more than 55% of the world's shale oil is here. 65% of the world's uranium is here. We have enough energy to provide power to the entire planet, including projected population growth, for the next 2,000 years. And if you doubt that, Google TerraPower Wave Reactor. What else? The bottom... I know, she was working in a bar last year, and people can't afford the $8,000 deductible. Just trying to breathe. We're trying to just remember all those Lamaze classes because I think I'm going to give birth to something really ugly if I don't breathe. Why is there an $8,000 deductible? One might ask, but not now. The bottom 10% of our population, the bottom 10% of our population by way of wealth is still the top 10% compared to the world population. We have 68% of the world's PhDs living among our population. Many of them are foreign-born and educated, but the money is better here. In the Me Too era, easy to focus on the very real and disgusting cases of violence against women that flood the media, but it might be worth noting, I don't know, occasionally... That violence against women is actually dropping. Violence against wives and girlfriends has dropped by 75% since the 1990s. While news cameras point at Charlottesville as, you know, Richard Spencer and his band of tiki torch touting buffoons and the NFL players kneeling to protest police brutality and racism in our police departments, you should know this. Hate crimes against blacks have dropped 50%. Oh, it's so bad here, nobody can afford anything. Because of capitalism and the Western way of life, the amount of money that we now spend on necessities such as food, transportation, our home, our clothing, our furniture, and our utilities and gas has been cut in half in the last 90 years. Think of that one. What your grandparents were paying in the Great Depression has been cut in half. The rate of children dying before the age of five has dropped over half since 1990. Now, that is a miracle that should be on the front page. That is, according to researchers, like averting 27 major plane crashes filled only with children every single day. What do you think we take a moment and go, damn, capitalism is great. Some other improvements apparently nobody wants to be connected to. 
Malaria is down 32%. HIV is down 50%. Neonatal preterm birth complications down 55%. Protein energy malnutrition down 57%. So much so that the the, um, World Health Organization has come out and said malnutrition is no longer a global problem. The global problem now is obesity. Lower respiratory infections down 66%. Measles down 91%. Arthur Brooks says it's the greatest anti-poverty achievement in the history of mankind, and it's happened in our lifetime. Why? Because of everything they're trying to dismantle. I'm sorry, but if you're anti-capitalist, you don't know your, your butt from your elbow. You don't know what capitalism has done in your lifetime. It's capitalism, technological and medical innovation, free trade, Donald Trump, free trade. Now, let me just put the miracle of the life-saving things that have happened because of the United States of America, capitalism and free trade. Let me put it into perspective. Give you some good news for everybody. If you happen to be pro-life, you've probably fought hard. You think you want to stop Planned Parenthood. That's good. You want the doors shuttered immediately. That's good. But to put this into perspective, how many deaths has Planned Parenthood caused let me give you some perspective if you shut the doors of planned parenthood you would have to eliminate the number of abortions that occur annually because of planned parenthood more than 19 times to be able to equal this progressives you've been fighting to repeal the second amendment with hopes of stopping all gun related homicide i've got more good news for you The incredible global life-saving achievement that capitalism and the United States are responsible for, equivalent to more than 630 years worth of gun-related murders. I don't know. I think I'm going to go with those facts. I think I'm going to keep... Addicted to outrage. Those facts are in the addicted. I'm going to keep that handy. I'm going to look at those things more than I look at Twitter. It's Monday, September 17th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. You know, last hour we were talking to Jonathan Haidt, who is just a a brilliant, brilliant uh, scholar researcher a guy who was uh a uh, progressive he's woken up changed uh and uh and now is fighting he started a new organization uh 2000 college professors that are saying this is crazy we have to stop the safe zones trigger warnings and we need freedom of speech on campus i think some good things are happening and and they're happening from people who used to be on the left yeah i think there's a a lot of this is feeling, right? People get angry and they use emotion to try to, uh, you know, express some sort sure. of virtue or or whatever. Uh, and I feel like there's a pushback now against that. People don't, people, I mean, America was built as a logical place, you know? I mean, it's a place that is supposed to look at these things honestly 
Judge and, me by the content yeah, of my character. Exactly. Right. Right. That's what we're supposed to be right. here. We've seen all over the world how emotion gets out of control and governments mm-hmm. take over and do terrible things. We've always been the people saying, you know what? People can take care of themselves. People can self-govern largely. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. can do these things. This experiment was based on that. And so often now it, it, it becomes lost. But I feel like there's that. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, one of the things a lot of these people kind of fall in this uh, umbrella that that people call the intellectual dark web, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are saying, you know what, maybe I want to actually have an honest conversation and explore the nuance of this situation a little bit. Um, But the fact that dark web is attached to it shows, you know, how underground underground it is. You it's almost you almost have to like hide when you want to come out and say, you know what? I, I feel like this is interesting to explore fully. You weren't with me when we're in Los Angeles today. And uh, we're uh, we we've rented a house, and the whole crew is at this house. And yesterday we come in, and we always have this joke when we're driving up: Should Glenn go in? Because if the owner's there, it might be a trigger. Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we walk in, and I always walk in, and we walk in, and there's the owner, and he looks at me, and he goes. Oh my gosh, you're Glenn Beck. <laughs> now, <Uh-oh>. in <laughs> Los Angeles, there's about a 99.9% chance that that is not going to end well. Okay? Oh my God, mm. you're Glenn Beck. Wait until I share with you his next sentence when we come back. Okay, I do have to tell you this. I got up this morning, and my back is killing me. Stu and I were talking about uh, talking about this on the way in. I, I could barely get it. I don't know if you saw me get out of the car. I could barely get out of the car today, and it's because I'm sleeping on this mattress. And I guess it's a good mattress at the you know at the um, at the Airbnb. But I need my Casper mattress. My back is killing me wow today. from one night one night wow one night um makes a big difference it makes a huge difference uh if you want to sleep well casper mattress no brainer and here's why um you will i will tell you you will uh when you change mattresses like i just did you will have not a good night's sleep um because it's just perfect it's the perfect mattress for you and if it's not just return it you can try it for a hundred nights but whenever you change a mattress, it takes a few nights before your body adjusts to it. Um, and it, it makes a difference. That's why you can't try these things out in stores. you got to sleep on them for a few nights. Casper will ship right to your door for free in a small, how did they put the mattress in that box? Uh, they'll pick it up. If you don't love it, they'll refund every single penny from its engineering to its packaging. It is a genius mattress. Letting you try it for 100 nights, that's why they have 35,000 five-star reviews on their products, you know, from Google and Amazon. It's Casper. Try it in your own home now. Casper.com. Go to Casper.com slash Glenn. And if you use the promo code Glenn, you get $50 off the purchase of your select mattress. That's Casper.com slash Glenn. Addicted to outrage. The new book from Glenn Beck, Addicted to Outrage, is available everywhere tomorrow. Order it now at Amazon.com. You gotta, you gotta read, it is a, it's a great book. It's a great book. I am so nervous about it. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but 
Um, I want to finish this story. We're in we're in L.A. We got in last night, and uh, uh, we're renting an Airbnb, and the owner happens to be there. Which, when you're me in L.A., that doesn't usually go well, and uh, you can just see it. I, we were walking in, and I said to I think it was Michelle. I looked at Michelle and I said, "This is always fun. Watch their eyes." And I came down the stairs, and the bottom of the stairs was the owner, and he went, oh, my, you're Glenn Beck. And his eyes were wide as saucers. And then he looked at everybody, and then he looked back at me, and he said, this is the greatest thing. I'm a conservative. And I said, shut up. You're the one. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, no. And he took us around, and he said, this is a quote. I've lived here, I think it was 90s, in early 90s or late 80s. I can't remember the year, but decades. I think that's the first time I've ever said that out loud to anyone. I said, what? I- I'm a conservative. Wow. What? He said, you just, you just get slaughtered here. You just get slaughtered. He said, I'd find myself not being able to do business or having friends. I thought to myself, you know, I live in Texas, there is no redder of a red state than Texas. I don't know any anybody who lives on the block with a liberal that has ever hassled them and is anything other than friendly. That doesn't define you. I don't. I don't understand this. I really don't understand this mentality of the left of. I'm going to destroy you. There are Beto signs, you know, in Texas, all over Texas. I don't see anybody taking those up or or egging the people's houses. Right. Don't see it. Yeah, we have something coming up on TV this week um, about partisan identity. Oh, yeah. And one of the interesting things I thought uh, is that we've come to a point now where sort of that base level way you identify yourself, which has been things like, you know, maybe gender, right? Mm -hmm. Or race, Mm -hmm. right? Which now those are apparently totally fluid and you can't identify yourself by those things anymore. Um, But the way that people used to identify themselves, maybe their heritage, their national heritage, now their political party affiliation is essentially at that level. It's their God. And that's that's not the way it was supposed to be. I mean, think this country was designed in a way to de-emphasize politics. Right. It was it was designed it is designed in a way that you could you can your the government should have a as small a role in your life as possible. And yet so many people just can constantly obsess about politics. I want to I want to read tomorrow. We, we have to go through this research that we found um, uh, over the weekend. Stu and I were talking about it this morning off air. How amazing it is. They can tell you if you're white or black, if you are a rich or poor uh, you know, uh, liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat, all by like the peanut butter that you buy. It's incredible. And when you look at the list of things, we were going through it today, we're like, how do you, what? How do you say Jif is conservative? <laughs> How's it possible? <laughs> but somehow or another it is. And we have to go through that list because it, it's... The, the divide is getting wider and wider, and it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. That'll be on tomorrow's uh, radio broadcast. Back in a second. Welcome to the uh, program. Uh, 
Stu had uh, Stu, I think, had the day from hell. Welcome to the program, Pat Gray. Thank you. Uh, Stu had uh, you know his 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 uh, precious Eagles lost. They did, and then the Bucks. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. And then uh, he decides to fly to Los Angeles a little later so mm-hmm. he can watch the Eagles. As uh, part of the reason, yes, that's one hundred percent of the reason. Your kids could be dying. Oh, one hundred percent is part. I mean, that's definitely it's a, it's a whole part, but it is part. So anyway, so uh, you had a great, great flight. Oh yeah, great experience. Got on the flight. I think it was a seven o'clock takeoff. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, and about about seven thirty, they gave us our first update, which was they loaded the cargo onto the plane incorrectly. Okay. So it's going to fly crooked. So it's gonna, I guess it's <laughs> going to fly crooked. We need all the fat people to get onto the right side of the plane. <laughs> Is that something? And I've never like, heard of that before. Is that you know, the, I don't think I ever have yeah, either. It's a, it's a balance thing. The plane has to be balanced. Huh. But so. with a... Okay. With a you know, playing that big though. I mean, I've, I've I've never run into that problem on a, on a commercial flight before. And then about a half an hour they later, usually do it right, right? Yeah. Um. So a half hour later, they said, uh, "Well, we're still working on it. We don't have an update." And another half hour or so goes by. Uh, same thing. Another update. As soon as we get this done, then it was they they had to um they ran out of fuel, so they were running lo- too low on fuel, so they had to refill the fuel. So the fuel mm-hmm. truck came back and mm-hmm. filled it back up to to full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they gave an update of okay, some good news. It, we're not going to have to leave this this plane. So we're at about two 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 and a half hours at this mm-hmm. point, uh, sitting on the tarmac. Mm-hmm. And they say, look, wow. the good news is we're not going to have to actually change planes. We're going to get this one off the ground. About forty five minutes after that, they came up with another update, which was we are now going to get off the plane because <laughs> we don't have we can't stay on this plane, but we're going to try to get another plane. And then it was stick went back into the try? airport. After two yeah, and a half hours, try. you're going to try to get another plane. Okay. Yeah, we're over. Th- we're over three now. Did and you I'm say back in the airport? No, no. Try not <laughs> to or do not. There is no try. <laughs> yes. I yes. almost went full Yoda on them, but I decided not yeah. to. Don't uh, do it. No. It gets Don't no, never yeah. go oh, yeah. full Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the by, the, we went back in uh, about three and a half hours. We finally got back on the flight and took off here. So I, I'm on a Jeez. good solid two hours and fifteen minutes or so. Of you're doing sleep. good. Thank you're you. Doing, you're I, doing I, really I well. I feel almost coherent. By the time the news and why it matters is on, oh. you're gonna be great. <laughs> great. You're gonna be great. Uh, <laughs> So uh, this is this is a second flight I have taken in a row uh, where they've pulled the plane back and then said, uh, yeah, we just have a mechanical problem uh, with the plane. I'm like, geez. Okay, we, we should probably check the plane before we come <laughs> back from the gate on mechanical problems. Is it just me? So you're sitting there, and yesterday in, in, in Dallas, we were delayed as well. Uh, because we had that mechanical problem, which they never really identify and was a little hairy because when we took off, it sounded like the landing gear came off the plane. <laughs> uh, but as we're sitting there and I'm fortunate enough to, you know, sit in, in first class and I'm there and I, th- I well, all I was thinking because I was reading, you know, some book on communism, believe it or not. And I'm reading and I'm reading that and I'm looking and I'm like, look at this. Look at this system of injustice. They put the people in the front first. They get to sit down. They're having <laughs> drinks. And then they mm-hmm. march everybody down the aisle that they can look and go, you're not getting any of this. <laughs> then I thought, serious, and this is a serious thought. Why do we have the curtain? Seriously. 
It provides no privacy. It's not like we're. It's not like we close the curtain and then we're all having a party or something. <laughs> and ah, now we're really going to party. Why do you have the curtain? The first class curtain. I think right. it's to uh, add that certain little element of eliteness. Yeah, you guys aren't with us, and we're, we're not even going to let you look at us. And right. They, they so, slam okay. that curtain shut. I don't. Right. Okay. Okay. You think? I think you're mm-hmm. right. I think mm-hmm. it is that little that little <laughs> air of mystery. We're not going. So then, my thinking again. On the tarmac waiting. There wasn't a mechanical problem. I would have been thinking of these things. If that's why we do it, why don't we have a curtain that goes up the aisle so I don't have to look at them and they don't have to look at me? So we're in these. <laughs> you're just walking by first class. All you see is the carpet in the aisle. There's curtains on both sides. <laughs> you want to be enclosed? <laughs> no, I don't. But I mean, if you're going to go for it, if it's like we don't want you to see any of this special stuff, why don't they just go all the way and curtain everybody off? <laughs> and why aren't the curtains gold? That's right. another. Exactly. Another. I always exactly thought that right. was more uh, bathroom guarding because the peons, us peons so. back in coach. May have to, well, when we walk up, we might be tempted by that front of the plane bathroom. But no, no. We walk to the back because we can't disturb the people in the front because we can't <laughs> walk through the curtain. It's in, it's, it, it, you cannot penetrate it. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a force field It's really against bathroom use. It's really weird. The, the lady said to me, uh, the stewardess, she said, uh, I said, I'm not really hungry. I don't want anything. And uh, she said... She she honestly said this like it was distasteful. She said, "Would you rather have something from the back?" I'm like, all I could think of was like, you know, the bathroom in the back. What it's in the back? I didn't realize she was talking about, you know, those people. She said, "Was like, would you rather have something from the back?" And I'm like, "What is in the back?" And she said, "You know, cheese and crackers and." you know little sandwich wraps and boxes and i'm like no i no i'm really not hungry is it but that didn't sound appetizing at all is it possible they just couldn't believe you weren't hungry like is it, she was just shocked that you would like it's a jeffy thing like come on i wish you were we still all, sitting on the tarmac we all know i wish starving. you were still sitting on the tarmac right now just another 30 minutes and they're going to have this thing fixed. Just another 30 minutes. So, uh, Pat, uh, a couple of stories that came out uh, this uh, this weekend. One, where is the university where they where they were serving uh, ice cream? I don't uh, know where it was. Uh, the defeated University of Wisconsin, the defeated mm. by BYU, uh, that university. <laughs> Is, oh, it, the, the, is it really that one, or yeah, you just really wanted is. to bring no, up the BYU game? No, it's Wisconsin at Madison. Okay. Yeah, they're the ones who want diversity in their ice cream. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it had right. beef gelatin in it? Is that was Some of the yes. flavors had beef so, gelatin. Yeah, right. right. Which, is, which is good. We're using all parts of the animal. That's I'm good. not going to say that's uh, That's gross to me. They do, they, they, I, what do you think Jell-O things, is made of? What do you think Jell-O is? Jell-O is an ice cream. Ice cream they're, they're is talking than, about no. They're talking about the gelatin that goes in to help it firm up. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, the whole the whole jelly. I mean, we talked about this before, Pat, back in the mm-hmm. Pat's two days. It's a mm-hmm. weird. It's weird to make a dessert out of uh, about cow boiled cow tendons. It's not a. It's not a normal dessert target. <laughs> no, it's just, it's it, I mean, I know it's a. It but if weird. it doesn't go to the human, uh, you know, the necessity. 
the necessity we need that to sit we don't want that to be liquid can you make that into like a jiggling mass? <laughs> well, give me some cow parts. I'll come up with something. We- I mean, you got to look at that as a good thing, right? I don't. I don't. Oh, that's, that's ingenuity at its best. That only could happen here in America, Can- even though it didn't. But it. <laughs> how, desperate well, France. For, how desperate for outrage do you have to be, though? To say that that, what we're talking about, that meat gelatin that goes into ice cream, marginalizes Muslims and vegans. Come on. Just don't eat the ice cream. Don't eat it. Go somewhere else for your ice cream. Uh, It's asinine. And they do have flavors that are that don't have it that don't yeah. have it in there. So right. there's but, ice cream options. You just don't get all the options, right? And that's that's discrimination because if I want strawberry and I can't get strawberry, uh, Stu and I were talking about this. Uh, Pat, my grandfather used to look at us kids. He grew up in the Depression, mm-hmm. and it, we would after dinner on Saturdays because you didn't get dessert every night. On Saturdays, we would get dessert. And my grandfather, we'd be watching the stupid Lawrence Welk show. And, uh, you know, we were just like, dear God, can somebody shoot me now? And my grandfather would get up and he'd say, kids, I've got ice cream. And invariably, one of us would say, what kind? And he would say, he just looked at us like we were mad. And he said, the kind you eat. Meaning, ice cream is a privilege. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ice cream's a privilege. You want something sweet and something cool? I have it. I, I, I mean, we are living in such a, a sheltered, upside-down world that if you can't get strawberry ice cream uh, and other people can... Uh, I'm I'm being triggered. Then you need a safe space. You need a space safe space to go to and and pout and cry and whine. And yeah, we used to call those we used to call those uh, institutions. We used to, <laughs> you know, that's when you're when you're throwing a tantrum. You need a safe space because you can't have strawberry ice cream, but you can have some of the other flavors. Uh, that's when we would institutionalize you. Uh, I'm just I'm just I'm just thinking maybe that uh, would be. And but on the other hand, when you think about how great this country is that we have solved so many problems that we're down to the meat gelatin and ice cream to worry about <laughs> i mean that says something about your country doesn't it if that's well, what you have left to be outraged over pretty amazing well it's not just that pat you're totally ignoring the big story of the day which is what a guy in the background of a weather report flashed the white supremacy uh, signal that we oh all gosh. know and have known forever that yeah. is a white supremacy it's signal. the one it's the yeah, one that's on the top it. of the buildings with a big spotlight and it looks like a bat in the sky <laughs> no no that's, that's <laughs> oh that's the bat, the signal. bat that's signal that's the bat signal this okay. used to be called mm-hmm. the okay symbol um with and, your fingers like okay yeah right and now we know if you see anyone do that in any context what they're saying is mm. they want white supremacy and when mm-hmm. did that when did that begin because i've never heard oh, of it until pretend. two weeks ago oh okay okay <laughs> okay yeah all right. okay I, by the way out. what do i say to a white supremacist who's denying it okay <laughs> proof evidence right. number one. Second uh-huh. is make the okay symbol right now Okay, I don't want to do it on camera, but I'll do okay. it below here. Just All right, so you got it? Not. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, what what letter are your three fingers uh, forming? Um, w. A w. I, I, I th- a, a W. w. Oh. 
mm-hmm. for white. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what's the other one forming? Oh. Or a zero, meaning all of our races are meaningless. Really? Is that? <laughs> no, I'm making okay. that up. I'm hoping to spread that because then we can say, you know, yeah, we, we just made that up and we'll see that in reporting in about two weeks. Right. On NBC. No, this is true. Listen, this is from the Washington Post. The idea that the hand sign is a secret symbol for white power owes its mainstream spread to a viral troll campaign aimed at making liberals and the media look gullible. In wow. February 2017, 4chan's wow. board um, discussed ongoing tactics to try to get their idea to go viral. To any who haven't seen the original thread, our goal is to convince people on Twitter that the OK hand sign has been co-opted by neo-Nazis. <laughs> it is not a thing. Even the media knows it's not a thing, and still NBC News ran a story about wow. some guy in the background of a weather report giving a, uh, a, a the white supremacy signal on camera. Now, I don't know. The Coast Guard seems to say uh, that they've removed him from this effort, and I don't know if they actually caught him and they really think he, he was doing this. I mean, it looks like to me he's just like scratching his head, but everybody's got to be outraged about something. And I guess that's the new thing. The OK symbol is now the new thing. And I'm, I'm mm. outraged that the, there, the, the was there an investigation? Did our Coast Guard no. just take this guy? We don't know his name even. Where is he? Has he disappeared? Is he in a penalty box? What the hell happened? Was there an investigation? I'd like to know. You can't just have the Coast Guard come out and go, Yep, well, that's why we put him away. <laughs> and he's not... Wait, hold it just a second. Maybe we should slow down on this. Especially when we know it's a hoax. Like, it was... It's literally not yeah, the Yeah, but he didn't know side. it was a hoax. Yeah, right. I guess that's what you have to argue? <laughs> right, you have to. Unbelievable. We'll have more outrage on Pat Gray Unleashed today, by the way, following this broadcast on the Blaze Radio and TV networks. And Addicted Outrage comes out tomorrow. Order today, have it tomorrow. Uh, and uh, begin reading. I'd love to get the uh, reviews. And I know what the one-star reviews are going to say, because they'll be out tomorrow, mor- tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the uh, U.S. government charged a North Korean man for the 2014 cyber assault on Sony. North Korean. The hacker was part of a team of hackers called the, called the Lazarus Group, who repeatedly tried to breach U.S. businesses with ransomware. Cyber attacks. Sony was tricked into malicious links because they were sent via Facebook and Twitter. The employees opened it up, and it was North Korean-controlled malware, and we know how that ends. There are so many stories like this over and over and over again. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and to your devices. Nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with new Norton security can see the threats that you're going to miss on your own, and they're going to fix it. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK. Get an extra 10% off your first year, plus a $25 Amazon gift card with your annual enrollment. It's 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Promo code BECK. LifeLock.com. Terms and conditions do apply. These charges against Brett Kavanaugh, they're so ridiculous. I want you to hear the latest on 
what this woman who accused Brett Kavanaugh of trying to rape her in high school. Listen, listen to this now. She, she says she can't recall the date, which, if, you know, again, this this long in the future, yeah. maybe we'll look at the exact date. But she also can't remember when exactly it was. For example, she's saying it's around the end of her sophomore year, she believes. Could have been um, her junior year. Could have been her, her freshman, freshman year, year. right? Um, she doesn't remember also the location where it occurred. Who owned the house where it occurred or how she got to the house where it occurred. Uh, She also didn't tell anyone until 2012. So she waited 30 years to tell one soul. And that was her therapist. She said she was attacked by people who were from an elitist boys' school who went on to become highly respected and high-ranking members of society in Washington. However, she also said that there were four boys who attacked her. Double the amount she's now saying attacked her. And she says that was the therapist screwing it up because you know how similar the words four and two sound at the time. It's her screwing that up. Yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. She doesn't know. Right. Because if he were to say I was on vacation for this month, she would say it was another month. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Mercury.